0: Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that stands by the term spoopy until <laughs> the day we die. <laughs> so today we have Laura, Hope, Kellen, and Zoe.
1: What? Wow! Who oh, is yeah! That? Who
0: is she? That's right. It's time to introduce our other <laughs> new host. We've been hiding her until now, but now the time <laughs> is ripe. I don't know why I'm singing this, but I felt like I needed to. Anyway, <laughs> she is spoopy in all the best ways, and we are so glad she is here to haunt with us. Yay! Zoe, would you like to give us some background on who you are? And whatever type of rad intro you'd like to do as the newest member of our coven.
2: Sure. Oh, I'm blushing. That was so nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. I've been super tired because part-time I work at a bar and it's open till 4 a.m. And so I have not gotten to oh sleep in the past couple of days. Yeah. Running on low fumes. But some background. I'm from Philly. Uh, I moved around to a few different places all on the East Coast uh besides the happiest year of my life in which I lived in Denmark and had free health care yes. oh my gosh uh yes. <laughs> other than that all around the east coast uh I've been in New York since June uh before that I was in DC I went to art school there uh for photojournalism and, and women gender and sexuality studies uh which is why now I work in a bar <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> just kidding uh, also I do freelance work I do different like photo and writing stuff depending on uh depending on where the money is waiting for me oh yeah um uh, what else about me
0: I don't know um <laughs> you love Buffy so, which I'm extremely excited about
2: I love Buffy um I yes uh I'm really excited to be here thanks uh we're so excited I know, to have you yeah In Walita's intro, she said that she felt like she's been a witch without a coven for a long time. And I feel the same way. Um, Yes. And, yeah, I'm excited. I guess people people get to know me better when they hear me talk about stuff. So, it's yes,
1: and,
2: And... yeah, um, I'm Messing, so I'm not to get cheesy. I love all of you. Yay! Love Yay! About love all of you. <laughs>
0: love you. Welcome to the coven. Yeah. Uh, it took about 30 minutes for me to start Twitter messaging Zoe that I love her and that she's now part of my family. So <laughs> I feel like the time between when we told her that we wanted her to join us and that was a, an extremely short amount of time. <laughs>
2: It was, those were great messages. I was very happy. I was like, people, people accept me. Yay. Yes.
0: (laughs) So I wanted to clarify something for y'all. So according to our Facebook comments, people think we have 97 hosts. And I'd like to clarify that we have six, six hosts, (laughs) four of which are here today. Uh, We're just missing Ambria. It's her birthday today. Happy birthday, Ambria. We love you. Hey, Ambria. Happy Happy birthday. birthday. And Walita, who you all have had the pleasure of listening to over the last couple weeks. Um, We do get to work with a shit ton of amazing guests, which is rad as fuck, but our ride or
3: dies are these six
0: women. (laughs) Hell
3: yeah. I also just want to add, birthday-wise, that we have another um, Halloween birthday in the coven. um, Our dear. Yes, dear and present hope, um, which I think helps to explain why we are such wonderfully witchy people. Yes. Hell, yeah.
0: So we're going to start our episode by having a very fun and cool DIY witching segment with my friend Jess. Stay tuned. So I'm really excited about this segment. Um, One of my dear, my nearest and dearest, uh, Jess, is joining us. Uh, she is so freaking cool and has just been like one of the greatest people in my life. And I'm really excited to have her on for this, uh, do it yourself witching, uh, segment. And also just to kind of like tell us about some myths, maybe some misunderstandings about what we know about modern witchcraft. So I'll have her introduce herself. Welcome Jess.
4: Hi everyone! I'm so excited. Uh, yes, <laughs> it's the best, um, and I think it's fun too. Cause I mean, who a who doesn't love a little witchy stuff this time of year, right? Yes. But But um, also to do a little DIY because DIY, D-Y-I, yeah. DIY, DIY. Yes. <laughs> yes. Doesn't you matter. Know, Sail through I it. Can, <laughs> I I can do magic, but I can't use acronyms. Okay. <laughs> So I'm Jess, and I come from a long line of very witchy women. So I actually didn't really know that I was a, a quote unquote, I use air quotes, uh, witch until kind of recently, which, Laura, you remember, I like Mm -hmm. called you one day and I was like, I'm a motherfucking witch. (laughs) I was like, I knew it. I really knew it. (laughs) Because of all just like the weird, strange, six sensey things that have kind of happened, but it actually came out kind of recently over the last couple of years. I was spending time with um a more mature an elder on my matriarchal side of the family. And we were just having a conversation one day about life and being and she was struggling with health at the time and unfortunately still kinda is and she just out of the blue like blurted at me. She's like, you know you're a witch <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, if you if you knew this person, she kind of like looks like an undercover witch. Like for those of us. (laughs) Yeah, you know, (laughs) Laura knows this person very well. Um, For those of us who are like American Horror Story fans, I feel like she could totally be part of the coven um, and look like one of the matriarchal witches from that season of American Horror Story. Hell yeah. But a lot of things clicked into place and a lot of things kind of started making sense after that Um, as far as the ability to make things grow and the draw towards healing and nature. So it's definitely been something that I've been on a path with for the last couple of years, Um,
3: but definitely
4: have been doing a lot of exploring. I have this super cool witch book now with all these different healing properties with things from nature. So I thought we'd spend a little time with that today. What do you think, Laura?
0: Oh my God, I'm so excited. And I, I just want to say like for reference, Jess has the most beautiful garden that I've ever seen in my whole life. And I work at a place that has an urban farm. So <laughs> I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of that. And hers is just out of control. Uh, it's so unbelievably amazing. And I think that a lot of what she the intentions that she puts into the things that she does, like really has this cool, cool impact. So let's do it. Like, tell us, tell us some
4: different things we can do this Halloween season. Okay. So let's get down with Sage. Yeah. I feel like we need to talk about Sage because, I mean, we all know what Sage is good for, right? Like Laura, right off the top of your head, what is Sage good for? Uh,
0: Cleansing a space
4: is what I would awesome. think of. <laughs> Right. So totally factual. Great for cleansing spaces. Um, Just FYI, for those of us who like to grow sage in their gardens, like myself, make sure it's dry before you light it on fire. Otherwise, just not not a great idea. Um, Make sure you're also lighting it in a safe space. But I think something that we forget about sage is that it's been an herb and a plant that's used globally in all different types of spiritual practices. So whether you associate yourself with more of like quote unquote witchcraft as we know it. So like paganism or even cultures from like native Americans to all the way traced back to like some of the most early times in India, it's been a Mm. part of a cleansing and spiritual practice and being, but something that I feel like a lot of people miss with sage is that although it is cleansing and especially white sage is really great for cleansing and getting rid of all like as my beloved elder witch would say bad juju. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's actually really great for wisdom and it is supposed to actually be used more for wisdom purposes and less of cleansing, which I find mm-hmm. so interesting. So you've probably had someone or heard the term like said before to someone like, "Oh, you're very sagely." Right? Oh, my God. I never even put those two things together. (laughs) Well, right. Like, oh, you're very sagely, which is like, oh, you're very wise. Like, you're wise behind your ears, young whippersnapper. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's where it comes from, which is so freaking cool. So most cultures, when you look back at, like, sage and where it comes from and what it's used for, it's used in a lot of rituals and a lot of ceremonies globally, both ancient times and present times, for balance, strengthening, and opening one's eye, so third eye reference, or one's awareness to things that are around them. Mm. So I think as we're approaching Halloween, it's kind of, at least here in America, it's like very big this time of year for the season of the witch. Yeah, um, And we're on season of the bitch. Right. Season of the witch meets season of the bitch. Yes. <laughs> Which is so, also speaking of witches, our home's resident black cat just hopped up on my lap. So if you hear her, yes, <laughs> she's hanging. Her she's name hanging is Cookie. She's the best. She is. She's like a 20 pound, clearly very woke spiritual animal that is purring and rubbing against me right now. So she clearly knows that we're up to no good. Yes. And by no good, I mean all the good. Yes. So... When you're thinking of things that you can do, not just this Halloween season, but in general, I think definitely making yourself more aware to sage as like a spiritual opener and a wisdom bringer is going to help you um, Mm -hmm. really just kind of stay in tune and open to those types of things. Breathing in or being near the scent and the smoke of it is also very cleansing, not only for like you mentally, but also it is a very great antibacterial. So you can use it for that purpose as well, too um so yeah kind of keeping that in mind what do you think Laura I am obsessed with everything that you're saying right now honestly (laughs) okay good okay so while we're on the path of bad juju right yes I also I just looked up what
0: what what the root of juju is because I was like where is this coming from (laughs) and it is from the French juju Meaning, uh, literally like translating to plaything. Um, so it's a spiritual belief system incorporating objects like amulets and spells and religious practice, and like it goes into it. But um, it's really like specifically uh, translated to plaything, which is also I feel like taps into kind of the playful manner of witchcraft and the playful historical manner of witchcraft as
4: well. Absolutely. And I think it when we're when we're looking at the history of witchcraft, I think it's so interesting to me because even now when you're like, oh, I'm a witch, people have this like really preconceived notation of what that is. Right. Yeah. So whether that's something that pop culture has put in their head or something fearful has occurred, I think a lot of times. We forget that really the root of a lot of these like spiritual practices comes from a place of healing and a place of growth and mm-hmm. less of a scary Halloween y kind of vibe. So I think that's really interesting that bad juju comes like quite literally from the root of that. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. You said, I didn't know that. I just knew that is something that like one of my elder matriarchs would say. It, yes. <laughs> And like when she says it too, she's always like bad juju and looks down at the ground and spits if it's appropriate. Oh my God. Amazing. (laughs) Hell yeah. So, hey, if you're looking for something more physical that you could do to expel evil from your life, maybe you can try some of those best practices. Hell yeah. So, okay. But seriously, so when we're talking bad juju or just needing a good cleanse, right? I mean- Sometimes it's not even a bad person or situation or circumstance. It's just like a green juice. Sometimes you just got to clean everything out. Hell yeah. Everybody forgets about cedar. Mm. Cedar is the main jam for purification. If you've got something that needs to be cleaned out, you got to hook yourself up with cedar. So cool. So one of my girlfriends, and I I got her permission, her name is Joy, to tell this story, um, if it's okay, about cedar quickly. She lost her father recently and it was kind of expected, but also kind of not happened really quickly. And she felt like not in a negative way, but there was definitely some energy that was still lingering around post this experience. And I was like, no worries. I'm going to come over. I'll teach you and your mom and your mom's best friend, like a little flow class. We'll burn some cedar. And she was kind of like, wait, why? Like, why aren't we hooking up the sage? And I'm like, girlfriend, like, just trust me. Although sage is great, it's definitely a purifier as well, you're not really seeking wisdom. You're looking to usher things along and create a new space for yourself. We burnt cedar, and literally within a day or two, things had calmed down, settled down. All of the uncertain energies had been released, and there was a rainbow, literally during a thunderstorm. What? Not committing to anybody or any of our listeners that there is always going to be a rainbow after you burn cedar, although that would be awesome. (laughs) Yes. And if you do experience this, you should totally tag Season of the Bitch. Hell yes. Because <laughs> I want to see that shit. But it's just a really great bringer of purification peace, and ushering in of new chapters in a really positive way. Um, preferably red cedar if you can find it, but if not, any cedar will do.
0: Wow, that's super cool. And I feel like I've seen these and it's more like a small wooden Block type situation, right? Like where mm-hmm. that's more where you're what you're burning instead of this like more um herby type situation.
4: Yeah. And I think a lot of times people go towards sage because we like the experience of sage, right? Like for sure. It's, it makes this really cool smoke that we can walk around and feel it with that we feel like we're having like a physical experience with it. It has a very distinct smell. Um, Cedar's just kind of subtle. It doesn't really overly smoke. It's a slow burn, um, which I'm not opposed to. <laughs> and, yeah, for sure. Right, for any circumstance. Um, but also it doesn't have like an overly distinct smell a little bit. I mean, it smells like cedar, but you have to be pretty close to it. But I think that's like one of the beautiful things about cedar is it's not so in your face and loud and look at me. It's kind of this really slow, steady purification and ushering in of whatever purification process you're trying to move through. So I think it's very symbolic for what it's actually trying to do.
0: Yeah. And I think that from everything you've told me, because Jess and I have had a lot of conversations about this stuff, I feel like, you know, with Cedar, it seems like there's a lot in, in addition to the physical stuff, there's a lot more of the intention piece that comes into it as mm-hmm. well. Yeah.
4: Absolutely. And I think anytime you're going to be in any type of spiritual practice, really maintaining that intention is so important. I remember one time I was going through a particularly challenging time in my life and was really struggling to get my feet back underneath me. And I was out to dinner with one of my girlfriends and she's so funny. Um, so she has come from South America and just a really big ball of energy. We actually worked together previously at a different um company that I'm at now and she was explaining to me intentions via a cocktail napkin and a pen at a bar Amazing. and she drew a stick figure and gave it big lashes because I have big eyelashes and she was like Jess look at this and she started drawing like plus signs all around me she's like if you are positive you attract positive and then she drew like a version of Jess stick figure next to it with like a sad face with all these minuses and was like and if you are negative then you attract negative. Um, Do I believe that that is one hundred percent true for all circumstances? No, but I do believe the intention and how you go in and the energy that you infuse into something during a spiritual process definitely impacts it and makes it more relevant um, in the immediate moment and then in the long term as well too.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, so we have cedar, we have sage. Uh, What about
4: one or two more things? So a couple of things. Um, Also, just before we totally move away from Cedar, if you want to add like a specific spin to Cedar, which I think is so interesting. And I was actually talking to my matriarch about this today, which she gave me this best practice live hot off the presses. Yes. Right. I know. Like gifts from the mama matriarch. Um, so she shared with us that she was very adamant that we needed to share this piece. Um, you need to get crystals involved. So if you feel like you need a cleanse from love or you're seeking love, depending on what you want it to be, you need to get yourself some rose quartz and you need to burn your cedar on top of your rose quartz. Mm cuz rose quartz is your secret weapon for all things love and ushering love and passionate feelings in tiger's eye for protection so if you feel like something is out to get you and you need to push that bad juju away you want to hook yourself up with some tiger's eye during the cedar burning process mm. so good good one right there
0: so is tiger's eye another i'm so sorry i'm so no.
4: uninformed in this
0: is tiger's eye another type of rock
4: Yes, it's a type okay. of crystal. Okay, okay, cool. Yes. so these are totally all crystals. Um, and thank you for catching me so I can be more specific. No, it's cool. Um, citrine for happiness. So if you feel like you're a little under the weather and you just feel like you might need even like a little emotional kickstart, nothing burns more beautifully next to sage than some citrine, which is this really beautiful, vibrant yellow stone. Mm. And then, last but not least, amethyst, which we all love. Yes. <laughs> it's a comforter, it's a healer. So if you feel like you just need an extra little TLC before we're going into the holiday season, rock out some amethyst. Yes. Oh
0: my god, this is the best DIY witching. I like you're actually blowing me away right now. Like I knew you knew shit, and now I'm just like, what the fuck? Like I so. Full disclosure, I've spent a lot of time at Jess's house and she will sometimes just be like, yeah, I was just charging these rocks under the full moon like you do. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm very into it, but I have not until this moment like actually heard details of it.
4: Right. And I feel like me and you have been best friends for a long time now. And so you're kind of just used to like my weird hippie in the moonlight kind of shit at this point ready for it right but you're here for it um but yeah there's like these fun facts and if you have a favorite crystal that really speaks to you um because we're just hitting a couple really popular really great crossover ones this goes for anything cedar plays nice with all crystals so you can totally pair them up together to just help that process along as well too so it's not limited to just the ones that we talked about briefly so cool so, yeah, as far as picking stuff up on the trail goes, um, so please do it sustainably. Um, buy it from a sustainable source and remember to try to leave no trace whenever possible um, so we don't have a bunch of people just going out and picking stuff that they shouldn't be. But I do want to talk about pine because we're also kind of post-Halloween, we're kind of in the season of pine, right, mm, Laura? Mm-hmm, totally. So pine and aspen were like my last two that I was like, oh, we should talk about this. Yes, perfect. Um, So right now right nevertheless she persisted um especially like a lot of themes that are going on right now um and really really yeah oh my god can don't even get me started like I won't (laughs) I just can't I literally just can't I'm like literally squeezing a gel pen so hard that like I popped it (laughs) it's like my hand is turquoise welcome thank you Kavanaugh, for ruining my favorite pen um Sorry. Fuck him. I digress. Um, So nevertheless, she persisted, right? Pine is known for helping, especially women, which I think is so awesome. Again, another gift from the matriarch. And I did fact check this against like a little herb and like plant book that I have. So she is correct. Um, So I'm not just spewing crazy out into the interwebs. I mean, like I trust your matriarch more than most people with my whole life. So right. Because she's a badass. Um, But yes, so pine specifically, so needles, bark, or the sap from the tree itself are really great for helping women rise to the occasion. It helps with self-confidence, it Mm. helps with being vocal, and it helps with persistence. So for those of us who are kind of just feeling really burnt out from things that have been going on recently, or just like we need to be more grounded in who we are and what our voice is. Pine is amazing for that. And inhaling it actually is some of the best things that we can do to help stimulate that. So carrying it in your pocket or carrying it with you is always great. But this is actually one that we are not going to light on fire, although it is very satisfying to light things on fire. Uh, this one we're going to smell and inhale. And one of the best practices mm. is to infuse a mantra that is important to you mm. while you're doing this process. So, for example, a mantra that I've been working on recently, um, and Laura, actually, do you want to give kind of like the brief synopsis of what a mantra is? Being a yoga teacher, you'll probably be able to explain it really well quick just before I go down this rabbit hole. Yes. I would
0: like to say former yoga teacher. Former yoga teacher. Excuse me. No, no, no. I would say that it's just generally like an intention that you set for yourself that you repeat on uh, like until... A certain amount of time so it can be um like something that's really simple that happens a lot in eastern religious practices something called ham saw so inhaling on ham exhaling on saw it's just something for your mind to focus on and put your intention into but it can really be anything right it can be like i am i am i am like you're there you're existing you are fully doing the things um so there's, there's just a lot of ways you can make it work.
4: Amazing. I love it. Good. Cause I'm way too wordy with this stuff and I'm like, I'm passing this one off to Laura cause she'll get to the point so fast and it's <laughs> epic. <laughs> so what I've been doing for my mantra recently and something that I've been doing, and I'm actually going to, I, I got some pine. Um, I have pine in the backyard in, of my home and in my garden. So when I got back this evening, I went out and grabbed some quick. But what my mantra is going to be and what I've been doing for a while is when I inhale, I say to myself, I deserve the space I consume. And when Mm. I exhale, I say, I bring light and love to the world. And I love that. That is like kind of my reinforcing to myself as a woman and being a woman who's been through a a very interesting journey, a very challenging journey in some rights. It's reminding me that I I deserve in a lot of rights. Yeah. That's a story for another day. Another cocktail. Yes. Um, (laughs) But I really like think that we need to remind ourselves of that, that we do deserve the space that we consume and take up in this world. And because we are taking up space, we are more able to bring love and light to it. Absolutely. So get yourself some pine ladies, <laughs> hook it up. We're going to do it. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, another, our last but not least, I want to talk about Aspen. So staying in like the theme of going out on the trail, Aspen leaves, especially dried. Um, so these are best. You can carry them with you for protection or you can also burn them very similar to how you would burn like a sage or a cedar. They are great for reducing stress and anxiety and helping yeah. you feel balanced, which I am constantly losing the war against gravity. I am not a very good <laughs> balancer, but um. Laura will remember, I once tripped on my pants in the parking lot and broke my wrist and elbow. Um, it was endearing as hell, honestly, it, but yeah. It was. I was pretending to be a supermodel for Vogue on a windy day and wiped out. <laughs> Wish I would have had some Aspen. <laughs> yes. I do warn you, it burns really fast. Um, so I suggest if you are going to do it and you kind of like it, let's off, it makes us like really – comforting popping noise. Don't worry, it's not going to spark. It's just quite literally the air leaving the veins of the leaf itself. But it almost reminds me of like a little mini crackling fireplace when it's burning. And the sound of it is very therapeutic. This really like clean and very um, earthy scent it lets off when it is burning the leaves themselves is really, really comforting. So I could totally see how it's great for stress and anxiety Mm. going into the holidays. Um, I think most of us put our families on do not disturb and only check in a couple times a week around that time of year. Yes. Um, Or maybe not. (laughs) But I feel like that's pretty normal for sure. Right. It's pretty normal, right? It's pretty standard to defend one's inner peace. Aspen is going to be great leading up into that.
0: Oh, my God. This was amazing. You are amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your witchy wisdom with us. You are sagely among us all. Oh, I'm your sagely witch, Jess. Yes. Thank you, witch, Jess. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us on Season of the Bitch.
4: I love it. And Cookie literally just went Meow, as like, loud as she could. And I was like, oh, that's really cute and endearing meme. Yeah, she needed it. Okay. She did. Thanks for having me. Bye. <laughs>
2: that was such a good segment.
0: Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so now that you all know exactly how to protect yourself, how to send out intentions into the world, how to, you know, do a bunch of things, the difference between cedar and sage, which I did not know. Um, very cool. Anyhow, now we're going to talk about Halloween. Woo! My favorite Halloween. Huh? day. it's all, yeah it's really always halloween in my heart honestly like my <laughs> my stepbrother who was my best friend for my entire life and i mean essentially still is my best friend uh he's six months younger than me he his birthday is on halloween as well and he and i used to you know when you would play like imaginary games growing up like he and i would play a game where we would go to this place called halloween town and he was the mayor of halloween town and we would like spin this plastic pumpkin on a string over our heads like a helicopter to get us there. And honestly, I've just been waiting to get back there my whole life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's perfect.
0: Ready for it. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of curious, like, what's its relationship to the left? Why are people like, how do we think about it on the left? How do we think about it as women? Uh, buckle up, y'all. It's about to be a spoopy ride. Uh, anyhow, uh, I wanted to start. (laughs) (laughs) Wanted to start by saying, you know, I'm just fine here being the weirdest person. That's fine. Uh, when I first started doing research on this episode, there were so many articles about conservative and fascist douchebags saying the left ruined Halloween by being upset about racist and culturally appropriative costumes. So I had to wade through a lot of those.
2: We're sorry. Speaking of fascist and Halloween, yeah, when I was doing research for this, I also was reminded of when Trump Jr. posted that picture of his daughter that said he was going to, like, take half of her candy and give it to a child who just sat home to teach her about socialism. Oh, my uh, god! Good flex. <laughs> uh, but then, so then I was kind of, like, thinking about the politics of Halloween. And I feel like kids are, like, dressing up and entertaining the candy givers. And- yes like we give candy like it's kind of a mutual aid situation right for and sure
0: payment for candy we're all benefiting <laughs> listen I've definitely found so much joy out of handing out candy I think that like being really excited about kids costumes is like a, a real treasure in life
3: <laughs> completely agree
0: so I thought we could start also with a little bit of history. I did not know any of this, um, which, I mean, like I guess I've just been like a very casual Halloweener for a long time. <laughs> uh, but this dude named Peter Tukowski, uh who's an assistant professor in the Department of Folklore and Mythology in U.S. UCLA, states that the earliest trace of Halloween is the Celtic festival. So in, which was the Celtic New Year, it was the day of the dead, and they believed that the souls of the deceased would be available. So this shit started two thousand years ago when the Celtics were trying to celebrate the fading days of sunlight and the changing of the seasons. Kind of a cool naturey vibe situation going on, um, and it was also said to be the day most likely for divination to occur. So it's probably where we get a lot of the Halloween occult vibes, um, and. People wore costumes for the specific purpose of warding off ghosts, which I think is rad as fuck.
3: Yes, I uh, have to agree with you there, Laura. Um, (laughs) I, being myself, um, wanted to expand a little bit on the history of Halloween. A lot of it I did not know um, going into this, and uh, I learned a lot, and I'm happy to share it with y'all, so... The word Halloween, this is probably a little bit obvious. It's derived from All Hallows' Eve, which means the evening before Hallows' Day, All Hallows' Day, um, which is also known as All Saints' Day. Um, And that is traditionally celebrated on November 1st in a variety of Western Christian sects. So probably everybody listening is aware that, like, Christian holidays and rituals draw from pagan traditions. It was a way to bring unchristianized people in Europe on board um, with Christianity And it should also probably serve as a reminder that so many of the traditions of the Catholic Church and, like, the the Protestant offshoots that came after are sort of less direct invectives from God and the OG apostles and, like, more normal ground-level stuff where institutions adapt to become more attractive to target populations. Um, I also think it's worth mentioning, sort of building again off of what Laura said, that Halloween's been around for 2,000 years and, like so is Jesus. So for those of us who are practitioners of Christianity, I would like to now make an argument that Halloween is just as important as Christmas. Um, (laughs) yes, make Christmas Halloween again. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. Um, so yeah, so all of this stuff, like when, when we're incorporating, when we, I don't know why I'm in any way using the term we, I'm not affiliated with any of these groups. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When the Catholic Church Church in the British Isles was like, hey, like, let's uh, incorporate these rituals um, in, like, the 700s A.D., they started celebrating All Saints Day to coincide with the already, like, happening feast, party, jam thing that was uh, Samhain. So it's, like, it's kind of, I guess, like, ironic, you know? Um, But yet still on brand. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> that Halloween, which like seems to prompt hot takes every year from hyper-conservative slash religious crowds about the popular glorification of witchcraft and devil worship and stuff, um, is probably only relevant now on an international level because early Christianity built a major holiday around a pagan ritual in the first place.
0: Yes, it's so, so good. Like, oh,
3: L- The perfection
0: of Christian and conservative minds just having, like, historical amnesia in this moment. Like, literally for everything else, it's why we have climate change and all disasters and imperialism, etc. And we can just want to cry in a corner. But for this moment, it does feel very, like,
3: vindicating. At least we got Halloween out of it, right? You know, the world is crumbling around us, but... (laughs) One night we can eat candy and get drunk and wear ridiculous costumes. Ready for it. Um, which, again, is another reason to make Christmas Halloween again. Yes. Um, I want to incorporate that into so many more days of the year. Yes. Um
1: Maybe we should all just try doing that with our families this holiday season and see how it goes. Just celebrate <laughs> it as if it's Halloween.
0: I mean, I Roll think my extremely Freddy conservative costume? Catholic family is going to really love that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just explain the
0: history, Laura. They'll understand. Absolutely, they're really reasonable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kellen, if this backfires, I'm going to call you and put you on speakerphone with my grandparents.
3: Uh, I am an expert now. Yes. Um. So, in reading about so in so we, however you say it to you know become this expert um one thing that i really liked was that it was supposed to symbolize the transition between summer and winter like the light and the dark parts of the year which made sewing kind of like an in-between time where people thought supernatural things could happen like the souls of ancestors returning to earth which like makes halloween like kind of beautiful in a way i think mm-hmm. um and eventually more traditions that would be more familiar to us evolved around so in the british isles like lighting fires practicing magic and wearing costumes like laura mentioned um and these costumes um generally were meant to imitate the souls of the dead or to scare off evil um as she mentioned and these people wearing costumes eventually sort of a tradition developed um where they would go around their villages rhyming um and performing songs and stuff like that so then, and you might see where I'm going with this. Yes, I'm so here for it. <laughs> people, you know, who were visited by these these other people dressed as spirits um, would give food to the costume performers. And that was supposed to bring good luck to the people who handed it out. Which, clearly, there's the origin of trick-or-treating and evidence for Zoe's claim that trick-or-treating is a form of mutual aid. Woo! Yes! Yeah, I just bring it all together. I
2: just I'd be right, yeah.
3: I also want to pitch trick-or-treating as like one of the best um truly one of my favorite childhood memories it was something I continued doing until like age 15 um with my friends because I literally could not imagine being too cool not to con strangers into giving me candy for free Hell just to yeah. give you an idea I was, one
1: I of was those like,
3: people for sure oh yeah that doesn't surprise me I love it <laughs> um <laughs> No, I mean, and I mean that in the best possible way. I'm ready for it. I loved it. I, you see into
0: <laughs> my soul, and I get it, and I appreciate it, and I'm here for it.
3: Love it. Yes. So anyway, these variations on All Hallows' Eve celebrations ranged from mystical to magical to sort of strictly religious, um, evolves and continued to be practiced throughout the 19th century in different communities all around the world, um, especially, again, in the British Isles and in places that had been heavily influenced by Catholic or Anglican churches. And they all, they took on, you know, local customs and traditions in much the same way that, like, you know, the people deciding when All Hallows' Eve was going to be were like, yes, let's do it on the day where all the heathens are already having feasts and talking about dead people. So, Mm. by the early 20th century these, um, you know, you have mm, sort of expansive mass communication, these various um, traditions kind of also with the, you know, movement of people um, around the world, or at least within nations, uh, these traditions sort of come into contact with one another and you see sort of uh, a homogenization uh, of these traditions. And by the early 20th century, as I was saying, you got some like more family friendly, child oriented celebrations along the lines we're familiar with today, um, which are like really popular throughout America and in other countries as well. I feel like.
0: Like there's so many pieces of Halloween and, and when we were coming up with this episode, I like didn't I mean, like the go to which we will be getting into, like I know Zoe's about to dive into it in just a second here is witches, right? Like witches have a lot of of a long history and it's, you know, like we as feminists need to like understand and know that. And with our, even our first episode, we did Calvin and the witch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like, Oh yeah. I'm just like the idea of being scared, like scary movies and haunted houses and vampires. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of all of these things and they they all have roots in a lot of different places. Um, and it's interesting to me that this whole month or this whole like season, which is rooted in exactly what Kellen just described, like how it came to be all of the things, right? Like how it came to be like us just being scared or like, I don't know. Does that make any sense? Like how, yeah. like I think about, Even the book Frankenstein. I don't know. Like I could go on a weird path with this maybe. But like I feel like there's so many things. And it's really amazing that we just kind of have. I think there's something really special I guess is what I'm trying to say. About all these different kind of magical mythical situations. uh, All kind of coming together in this one holiday. And all of those things definitely not being part of the root of that holiday, but now certainly being a part of it.
3: Yeah, I think. And so something that and I, I know I'm I'm coming at it from a different angle than um, probably maybe other people who are talking right now. I don't know. Um, I am thoroughly, I guess, sort of as a person disposed against um, magical thinking. Like I... I, I <laughs> like from a young age was like, well, why would I go to church? I can't convince myself that God is real. So I'm wasting my time. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, I have on some level, I think I bring like a skepticism like that, or I, I used to, um, to, you know, magic or witches or, you know, s- spells or any of that kind, you know, uh, stuff that goes out from there, like vibes and, all that kind of thing. It's not something that, like, I personally, like, am invested in, or I didn't, you know, used to be. um, But I think it can be really interesting to think about all of these sort of practices and traditions. This is not an, an original thought by any means, but think about them as ways, like, really useful ways that people move through and interpret the world around them and like sort of and I'll I'll get more into that later but um in terms of like witchcraft specifically and what that's meant for especially for women Mm -hmm. um and the ways that it can be really empowering um and why it's like really important to understand and um sort of respect that get I'll get into that later but one thing Laura that you just brought up that made me think um is that there's there are people who study like movies um and also like other types of pop culture in terms of like what people are afraid of what the sort of monster du jour is because mm-hmm. there are definitely trends and you know, the kinds of things that people are scared of, um, or the kinds of things that pop up in horror movies throughout the years. Um, and so much smarter people than I, or at least much more culturally uh, sensitive people or culturally aware people than I have written about this. I remember going to a museum in Seattle, the name of which escapes me, that had like a whole section on like the evolution of horror. Um, But people, cultural critics have brought this sort of lens to look at like the types of monsters in films. And so like alien films and like the idea of alien invaders was really big um, and, like, you know, the 40s, 50s, and, and into the 60s. And, like, there's sort of this theory that part of that is that you're living through a new nuclear age. there's an idea that, like, technology really has the capacity to exterminate the human race. And one way that people worked out um, those kinds of anxieties was exploring them through... Uh, you know, the ideas of aliens coming to earth with foreign technology that had the capability of destroying humankind. And also it helps that the space race is going on, that sort of thing. And there's been stuff that's been written recently about zombies and sort of the modern fascination with zombies and how that's reflective of like late capitalism and, um, And I do think it's really interesting that sort of as you were suggesting, Laura, all of these things that we're sort of theoretically afraid of, but also like to think about and play with because they're less scary in some ways than a lot of our reality um, come out and come together in Halloween. And I think that makes it a really like ripe area for, you know, actually like serious thinking about it in addition to, you know, again, getting drunk and uh, eating candy.
0: Both equally as important, honestly.
3: <laughs> I totally, I yeah, totally agree. <laughs> but yeah, what about modern witches? I feel like Zoe has something to say about that. Oh, I'm so glad you
2: asked. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so I was researching
3: an activist
2: group which started in the 60s in New York called WITCH uh, as an acronym like W-I-T-C-H, which originally stood for Women's International Conspiracy from Hell. Um, oh, hell yeah. And- and then, depending on what kind of actions they were doing, they kind of, or they would, like, re-ascribe the acronym. So, other things that went by were women inspired to tell their collective history and women interested in topping consumer holidays.
3: Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> again, make Christmas Halloween again! Hell yeah. Yes. So real. Uh,
2: <laughs> so, they started in the 60s. It was uh, a split from radical feminists. It was a group of socialist feminists. Um, that weren't happy with the way radical feminists were running their activism. Mm. Um, And so they formed like a left-wing group of witches that did various activism uh, in the name of witchcraft. Uh, And they would like wear like witch gear and kind of like witch theme all of their actions. Um, But the first one they did was on Halloween of 1968 and they marched to Wall Street and put a hex on the New York City Financial District and, uh, notably in, in the papers the next day, uh, the stocks dropped like a considerable amount of points. I don't really know how stocks work, yes. but it was considered considerable, uh, which is so fucking cool. I really yes. like this story. Um, and so that action was how they were trying to bring like working class struggle in with uh, feminist actions.
0: Hell and no. that
2: was, that was
3: their first big stunt. That is so cool. That is exa- almost exactly 50 years ago. It's 50 years ago. This Halloween. We should Halloween.
0: try That's again. Still- let's Time. do it.
2: Time to try again. Yes. Yeah, but at so this point, after... like,
0: let's just fucking shut down Wall Street, honestly.
2: <laughs> yeah, their hex was obviously too small, but.
0: Yes, yes. we needed something much bigger in scale.
2: Yeah. Uh, but so after that, what were considered, like, spinoff covens started in a few other U.S. cities. And that all ran kind of late 60s into the 70s. um, And then those kind of dismantled and became other uh, activist groups. But some scholars of pagan studies have uh, referred to them as a precursor to the Dianic Wiccans, Hmm. which are a modern day uh, like feminist based paganism uh, that's developed in the 70s in the U.S. So the activist group, which has been credited as having some of the precursor ideas to
3: that. That's really cool. Yeah. So I, I hinted at earlier um, that the, the interplay between witchcraft and power has always been really interesting to me. Um, obviously, probably the most famous incident with respect to witchcraft in America is the Salem witch trials. And, um, you know, if you all want, I think it, we could talk about the way it lives on lexically with the term witch hunt and oh what our modern use of that mm. term means. I'm, it's probably very clear to what I am referring right now um but what I'm i wanted
0: conservative to- assholes i i'm sorry but like no, also when it. i no, was thanks
2: for making it clear
0: yeah like <laughs> when i was Swear doing the research that that was also what came up when i was like witches and leftism is what i threw into google and then it everything mm-hmm. that came up was like why is the left witch hunting us and i was just like i'm gonna murder you okay yes
2: that is but why. them them using the term witch hunt does ag- well because they Think that it's people being people being witch hunted who are innocent. Uh, so in a way, they're almost acknowledging that the witches hadn't actually done anything wrong. That's real. That's true. That's true. But they're doing it in a terrible way. So <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's definitely yeah something to behold. Like watching white men who are deeply invested in like the patriarchy claiming you know a term that was used to describe. What the patriarchy did to especially women who dared to challenge it um, yep, real but yeah, I mean I think that's that's yeah related to what I wanted to talk about, especially like with regards to the Salem witch trials and like what they I mean I'm using them as a stand-in for a lot of other sort of um, persecutions of so-called witches that is it's been a theme around the world and I, I think actually um, Sylvia Federici has written, or is writing currently about um, the sort of common themes across uh, witches, witch hunting, and that sort of thing um, on a sort of global and uh, global scale and across time. Um, mm. But anyway, yeah. So. Witchcraft um, and accusations of witchcraft and witchiness um, has been used for, like I said, across continents, across centuries as a means um, to discredit and attack people frequently, but not always women um, who challenge patriarchal or religious or class or fill in the blank norms. Um, and so something I was thinking about as I was like putting this together is how... Accusations of witchcraft are obviously like impossible to prove, um, and it seems to me that like because of that, they offer communities an opportunity to demonstrate like the ugliest kind of solidarity. Like I don't I don't know what the the term is for when it's like negative solidarity, like like the Wario to like the Mario of solidarity. Um, yes, but that's the you know you know what analogy. I'm talking about. Um, and it lets it lets cultures like punish certain. Certain members for an, an unprovable mystical offense, when it's harder to punish them for the thing that everybody's actually upset about, which tends to be violations of what are almost always oppressive norms. Mm. Um, there's probably somebody who's written about this, uh, and if there is, I'm sure they have better things to say about it. Um, I just was thinking about this as I was getting ready for this episode. So yeah, I guess I was I was sort of thinking about how these accusations of witchcraft have been around for a long time um, as a means of power over women or deviance of any sort. But I think it's also worth noting that um, in societies where witchcraft is still a scary, scary and serious thing, like not, not probably where most of our listeners live. um, But Still in other places in the world, and certainly in Salem in 1692, these accusations can also offer relatively unempowered people um, a means of exercising a kind of destructive social power. The people who made witchcraft accusations against the Salem witches, um, generally they, they weren't like the wealthy men of the local community. Um, almost all of them were either young girls or servant women, which were obviously people who had very little access to power in the conservative, Puritan, uh, richly hierarchical Massachusetts town that we're talking about. And it, it also kind of strikes me as analogous um, to the way poor white women gained access to massive social power, like power otherwise inaccessible to them by virtue of their gender and class um, in uh, the South. Uh, in the sort of, you know, late 1800s and into the mid 1900s by accusing black men, um, a group with even less structural power of rape. And I think it's also important to note that the people and institutions with power then take these accusations and use them to carry out an agenda of social control. So accusations of witchcraft have been and, and some to some extent continue to be all about exercising power over people who violate or threaten social norms like one of the earliest witches uh in you know people who was accused of being a witch in the salem witch trials uh was a woman who had um like a woman of of uh you know completely free standing white woman who had married an indentured servant who was like working on her house um that was one of the first the first women to be accused another was a woman who just didn't go to church and like didn't give a shit um you also see women who are um, like sort of expendable, um, like the, the first person to confess and who was tortured into confession was a West African slave. Mm. Uh, so anyway, there's all of those sort of dynamics at play. But, and there's a big but here. Witchcraft as a practice, I think, does the exact opposite thing. So you can have, like, whatever opinions you want about whether magic is real. I'm using scare quotes for both of those words here. Um, But, like, whatever opinions you have over, like, the actual power that magic exerts in the world, you have to recognize that it... It offers, especially women, an opportunity to claim power that society, like, attempts to withhold from them. So there's a reason that, like, the witches that Zoe talks about chose that very specific iconography, um, you know, and used, like, there's so many different ways that you can do, like, massive public demonstrations in the aftermath of ferguson we saw people doing die-ins right to Mm -hmm. demonstrate the reality and the terror of police brutality um and the witches chose to do a massive hex um and that was a different sort of direct action but there's also people so many people you know laura has like introduced us to her friend who's talking all about this who use it within their day-to-day lives as a like really powerful means um of claiming power for themselves i know that uh Lindsay, who was part of the podcast um and will you know still join us from time to time once um cast a spell on somebody for me and it was really fucking cool uh you oh, know wow. many many of our listeners may be familiar um with, like, intense trauma that men can inflict upon women um, and the kind of terror that that can continue to hold over you even when the actual person is not with you at at present. Um, And on a day when that that was, like, really affecting me, Lindsay responded to this um, by doing something that has a technical name that I don't know what it was she like it was like a binding spell I think wrote some stuff on a piece of paper like her wish for me and my safety and rolled it up and burned it and like it was awesome and I I felt like really I don't know like protected and I her solid like this her solidarity with me came across so strong and it was just like really powerful and I it meant a lot Um, and I think that it's Whenever we're talking about witchcraft and the left and women, um, it's really important to understand it in the context of, like, people making sense of the world and, like, creating bonds with each other and, like, finding their own power. And, like, witchcraft is a really powerful way for a lot of pe- people, especially women, to do that in, like, the hellhole where we are currently living. Hell yeah.
2: yeah, I think like, that's also interesting. Like, the right totally... Is afraid of witchcraft like one thing I found when I was researching is and no one looked this up because don't give them hits (laughs) uh Breitbart wrote an article about resistance witches and like all this shit that they're like afraid these witches are doing um and then last week with like the Brett Kavanaugh like major hex I guess that was two days ago um there was like this group of like priests that were trying to do like counter prayers against the hexes um and yeah And I'm planning a hex if anyone's interested.
0: Yes. (laughs) Hell yeah. Yep. (laughs) Hell fucking yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I feel the same way about, you know, I spent a lot of time working outside in forests and I feel like I'm an atheist, but I like feel like there's moments where I like understand deism or, you know, different things like that, because there's something really magical and beautiful about having intentionality in any way. Like if you have intentionality about the natural world, um, if you have intentionality about the people in your life, it is a really powerful thing. And I think that's what a lot of those things kind of bring together. Um, I do want to kind of like shift a little bit into thinking about, um, how of course neoliberal capitalism weasels its way into this, uh, because Absolutely. it does and it will always do that. Um, and, I think that like definitely neoliberal capitalism is pouncing on which stuff right now. Um, You know, there will always be capitalist appropriation of identities and movements that were once uh, relegated to the fringes. Um, And so I guess like I'm curious and it maybe doesn't have an answer. Maybe we don't have like the space to really fully develop our thoughts on this right now, but you know, how do we have these conversations and feel connected to some of these movements and understand how they also may be influenced by the rise of popularity through neoliberal capitalism? Like, is it possible that the reason why so many women feel empowered by this is because neoliberal capitalism, like, caught on early enough and used that to get more people interested in it? And, like, when do we need to be skeptical of that? And when do we need to just, like know that we live in a neoliberal capital hellscape and like have to kind of just enjoy what we enjoy.
2: Damn. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking about that a lot because I've been like watching all these like witchy movies for the spooky season and (laughs) then wondering like, okay, like in a medical show, they get like a medical professional to consult. Like, are they consulting witches? How is the research being done? Are they misrepresenting witches? Like, I don't, I don't have an answer for it. It's just something I've been thinking about.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah it's a good thing to consider um and also when it's mis- misrepresented i think it has the power to really backfire um particularly like in the current kind of media landscape because the right wing is very invested in making the left seem aggressive and antagonistic and we know a lot of their base is evangelical so they already believe like cookie things that have no scientific basis so they a lot of their Followers may actually believe that people are doing magic, but when it's made to, like, when you strip uh, magic and witchcraft from, you know, connection to nature, from natural law, from intention, from cause and effect, um, I think it can really seem much more sinister than it actually is. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: And I also just wanted to say, like, with everything, we're constantly like, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, which we all know. But I think there are ways to be more ethical or intentional about how we participate. Mm. So it's not not bad for things to be commodified necessarily, but trying to buy from individual creators, prioritizing non-white and non-binary sources seems like a good start. Um, And then also supporting creators whose art is stolen and used by larger companies, which happens a lot. Somebody will be making great art or they'll be doing posting Instagram pictures of what they're doing. And companies will just take that art, make a few changes, and then make a ton of money from it. So those are some things that were just kind of like top of mind for me. The ways we could try to be better but still have fun with it and enjoy it and kind of continue to build our, our global coven. Hell yeah. Right audience for that phrase. Um, (laughs) uh, And this is like, I feel like I've been putting a small rant in every episode I've been on. um, But (laughs) this week's small rant is about how women are stigmatized and mocked for dressing skanky on Halloween. And I realized reflecting on this that like I used to participate. I used to be like, oh yeah, like skanky nurse, great costume. But then when I thought about it more, now, is it any wonder that on this holiday where we're supposed to experiment with mysterious and scary parts of our world and ourselves, that women in our culture want to explore their sexuality because we live in a puritanical, slut shaming hellscape. Mm. Ooh. Um, mm. Mm. <laughs> it yes. makes total yes. sense that they're mm-hmm. like this is this is the appropriate place for me to do this without it ruining my whole life. But that's um, still and- box
2: for like it's still yeah definitely a joke of like oh she's being a slutty insert whatever
1: (laughs) (laughs) totally but but if you did that in not halloween you might actually like lose your job or you know your family might be more mad at you than just like mockery yeah yeah um and like i do definitely wish that the sexy whatever costume selection was more inventive or more interesting (laughs) for sure but I also think that's mostly looking at what's commercially produced and available, probably by men, probably using exploited workers. Hmm. And that there are definitely people who create their own sexy, weird costumes um, where they're being intentionally sexy but more creative. And we should just stop shitting on people and let them enjoy. Agreed. yeah, I
0: think, like, it's just also a reminder, and not that our listeners would ever do this, but if you are one of those people that even casually says, like, ugh, I can't believe she's wearing that. Like just shut up. Stop <laughs> commenting on other people's bodies. Just stop.
3: True. I um I wanted to respond to your little rant, which was wonderful. Hope by letting you know yes. that I um I'm pleased to announce. Uh, though actually I guess I have told like a million people <laughs> about this already and have like posted about it on Twitter. So this is an official first <laughs> announcement, but my costume this year will be sexy Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Does I, that
1: make
3: you Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Um, just to clarify what this means, sort of aesthetically, um, I will be wearing a large hat. I will be wearing a beard. I will be wearing a suit jacket. I will not be wearing a whole lot else. Yeah. And I plan to make a lot of people very confused about their sexuality this
2: holiday <laughs> yes
0: yeah. i want a million
3: photos
2: <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> i would say definitely the best costume i ever did was when i was a sexy ego waffle
0: <gasps> i right. saw I, pictures of this
2: i i tweeted i'm like super proud it was two years ago my friends were all being stranger things and i was like 11's friendly box of sexy waffles Hell uh, yeah it, i'm I peak. That was my peak Halloween. It's been going downhill since for my costumes.
3: That's good. I, that's great. I think we should maybe, uh, maybe along with this episode, tweet out some of the Coven's favorite. Um, good idea.
0: Halloween yes. costs. Yeah, you're gonna see me at age 15 as a Lego.
3: Oh, were you a sexy Lego?
0: I really wasn't. I really was specifically not. Um, But I was, if any of you have ever seen Wet Hot American Summer, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. uh, I was the cook from Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, who is an older man who wears crop tops with his stomach hair showing. And so I drew stomach hair all over myself and wore a crop top and talked to a can of vegetables.
3: Incredible. I just remembered that I was um, one part of a two-part emo prom date costume. This is, I think, my last year trick-or-treating at, like, age 15, um, in which I wore, like – like basically like one of those tuxedo shirts uh, but I was like a, I was like the emo dude prom date and I just really like want to shake every person who knew me in high school and was not like hey Kellen have you ever considered that you're maybe not completely straight
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> like really
0: guys I why have that thought all the time in? like I'm like why didn't anyone let me know sooner <laughs> 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 like what it could have saved me a lot of time y'all like just really? tell me
3: for
0: real oh <laughs> uh, well I feel like that's a good moment for us to wrap it up um, <laughs> perfect let your friends know if you think they're gay just kidding that's probably a really <laughs> insensitive thing to do yeah just start don't outing your
1: friends no, yeah. don't. just uh, kidding
0: don't. don't don't do that <laughs> yeah yeah don't do that uh but I do wish some of my good friends would have like casually been like hey uh but yeah anyhow As always, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Season of the Bee. We have merch up on our website, seasonofthebee.com. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. And slide us some money on Patreon because we need it. And we love when y'all support us. And we're, you know, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, And... We are so glad that this was Zoe's inaugural episode as a host. You may have recalled that she was actually also a guest. Uh, we're not going to tell you which one because we're going to say, like, maybe you can tell us if you remember. It can be a fun game that you can play with us. Tweet <laughs> at us. What... Find the Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> Find her. Yay. Uh, well, thanks so much for joining us, Zoe. We're so glad to have you and the family. Yeah. Bye. Love you all so much! Love you all! Love you! Love you! Bye! Bye! Season of the bitch.